0: You're listening to the First Corinthians When Immaturity Meets Worldliness series, preached by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at MapleCityBaptistChurch.com. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to First Corinthians chapter 13 this morning, starting at verse number 4. First Corinthians 13, verse number 4. Charity, or love, suffers long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemingly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. This love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Um, we have been talking about the church. This is 1 Corinthians, uh, the whole book, actually. And now in, in chapter 13, we find Paul encouraging the church, the body, that as we function together as a body of believers from every walk and station of life, the way the church works, the only way the church can work, is because of Love. Love. And it is not a superficial love. It is not a sentimental love. It is not a trite emotional love. It is this agape love, this love that is selfless. It is serving. It is a love that lavishes love and goodness on the unlovely and the undeserving. That's the love we're talking about. It's a love that sees the needs and concerns of other people, and what it does then is it makes those needs and concerns its very own. It takes them, it's compelled to take them for its own. And so we started now in this backdrop of 1 Corinthians 13, love, and we said first, this love is, it's kind. No, it's patience, what we said first, isn't it? Okay, good, I was just testing you. It's patience, it's patient. Long-suffering, this is a love that, although it endures injury, when it's hurt by words or action, it chooses not to retaliate. It, it doesn't think about how to get back at that individual. It says in love, listen, I am truly going to suffer long. I'm going to let that go. This love is patient. This love is kind. It is generous goodwill. It is uh, active, it is serving, it is useful. And this love says that even though you might irritate me at times, I am going to be kind towards you. I am going to be serviceable. I am going to do for you in your life what you need. This is the love that Paul is speaking about. It is patient, it is kind. Now, now let me say something to you this morning. As we've been going through this idea of love, and as we've gone through the list so far, we've tackled two. If I'm honest this morning, this idea of patience and long-suffering and kindness, I can find myself struggling through that at times. It's not always easy. And so I think this morning, as we find ourselves struggling through some of these things, we must go back to the idea and the truth that the gospel is what makes all of this work. Tim Keller said this, He said, the ultimate reality for Christianity, the ultimate reality for Christianity is a man, the God-man, a man on the cross loving those who didn't love him. I think he's right that you boil down the gospel. It's this, that a man was on the cross loving those who did not love him. And I submit to you this morning, if you and I are going to be kind and patient with people, we must think more deeply about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the cross. It's because this man, the God-man, was on a cross loving those who didn't love him that we have salvation this morning. Listen, we are not saved or born again or redeemed or reconciled back to God because we are good. Because we are deserving. Because we're Baptist. Because we've been baptized or dunked or sprinkled. We don't have salvation this morning because we're trying to follow the golden rule and do the best that we can. We don't have salvation because we're active in community and we're doing, you know, we're doing right by our fellow individuals and we're, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's not it. We have salvation this morning because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. A man on the cross loving those who did not love him. And this is the reason why you and I, as believers, who struggle through kindness and long-suffering, can be kind and long-suffering, because if God did that for you, and if he did it for me, then certainly now I have the motivation, the ability, right, to do the same for others. That's the gospel. And so let me challenge you as we struggle through some of these things. Some of you think, yeah, 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 I know the gospel. And I submit to you, you don't think about it deeply enough. Because when you do, it transforms every part of our lives. And we can be kind and we can be patient. Why? Because there was a man, the God man, on a cross, dying for us when we did not love him. It's the gospel. And so this love is patient. This love is kind. Now, back in verse number four, we find the next characteristic of love. And it says, love envies not. I was ridiculed somewhat last week that my message only covered two words, is kind. It's Like, well, how can you preach your whole message on is kind? I mean, that's, that's really ludicrous. And so to be a punk this morning, I'm going to preach on two words, envieth not. Okay? This love envies not. And we're going to move, hopefully, through this list a little more quickly. But this begins a list of the eight actions that are incompatible with this kind of love. Paul says you need to be patient and kind. Now I'm going to give you eight things that are completely incompatible in our lives when we talk about this love. And the first thing he says is, this love envies not. It is not Envious, it is not jealous. I debated this morning whether I should bring this up or not, and I'm going to bring it up, and, and maybe you have an issue with it, maybe you don't, but I think it's at least at least worth looking at. For anyone who just has a a, a a general understanding of the Bible, you've read through your Bible, you know at least once or twice what you ought to do, right? It's a good idea to read your Bible. Get off the computer, show off the TV, read your Bible. But if you read your Bible, you come to places like this, and Paul says, listen, don't be envious, don't be jealous, don't do that. And maybe say, okay, I get it, Paul. Don't be envious, don't be jealous, it's a bad thing. And then maybe, just maybe, you're in the New Te- or the Old Testament, and you come across Exodus chapter 34. And in Exodus 34, verse number 14, this is what it says. Mike, can we get that on the screen? Exodus 34, 14. For thou shalt worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Paul just said, listen, don't be envious, don't be jealous. But then we find in the Old Testament that God, his name is jealous, and he says, I'm a jealous God. What gives? I mean, do you find that strange? I'll tell you what Oprah Winfrey does. Oprah Winfrey says verses like this but I want nothing to do with the Christian Orthodox God. I mean, if he's jealous, I don't want anything to do with that God. And so can we take just a few minutes and talk about this? I know you want to. You've asked the question. We might as well answer it for you this morning, all right? Um, Let me remind you that the Bible is a book written for big people. Certainly, there's lots that we can understand as a child. But we have to read the Bible like adults should read the Bible. Understanding their themes and their concepts and their genre and their, their things that we need to look at. And let me just help you before we even start this. I, I think it's really interesting, and this is important. Uh, Tozer said, What comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Okay? And, and I'm not talking about you're in a church like, well, what do you think about? No, but, but when you're on your own and you think about God, what comes to your mind about who God is, who He really is, is the most important thing about you. Because it determines how we live our lives. It determines how we act and what we take seriously, what's important to us, right? And so I just find it interesting, and we all do this, as, as, um, as human beings who we live on this planet, and if we live 100 years, it's a blip, right? Compared to human history, compared to eternity. But we all do something very interesting, We set ourselves up as our own God, and we will make God now in our image. We're going to craft in our own minds what we think, and it's not just Oprah. It's not just Hollywood or liberals or, no, we do this we decide that we will be our own gods and we will craft the kind of god that we want and so as we as we make him into our image we want a god who he condones everything we do i mean he's the old guy in heaven's he got the long white beard he's on the rocking chair he's halfway you know coherent and he just he's smiling all the time Just as long as we're having a good time. And so he condones everything that we do. That's the God we've made in our minds. Or a God that we can control. You know, I I, I rub the lamp and a genie comes out and I say, God, you need to do this for me. And if you don't, I will decide whether you're worthy of worship or honor or praise. Or we craft a God. Who's comparable to us? And and somehow he is just like us. And I submit to you this morning that what most of us do is we we don't worship the God who is, we worship a God that we want. And that's problematic. Because the God that we want only exists in your mind. He's not the God who has spoken, he is not the God of the Bible. He is God. And so let me just caution all of us, as we come before and we cast judgment upon God, we will die. He is eternal. We are finite. He is infinite. And so we must let God be God. And so before we start judging him because it says, I am a jealous God, we must step back and realize he's God. Regardless, but in saying that, if God says, I am a jealous God, then there must be more to jealousy than just what we think of something bad, intense, you know, selfish idea here. And I will say to you, there certainly is. We see this in the New Testament. Paul even uses the same phrase. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 2. This is Paul speaking, all right? And here's what he says. Paul says, I am jealous over you. And it's the same word he uses in 1 Corinthians 13 where he says, don't envy, don't be jealous. Look what he says. I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And what he's saying is he's saying, I love you and because I love you, there's a godly jealousy that I want what's best for your life. I don't want you to be harmed. I've espoused you to Christ. I want you to follow him. And I am envious when your life deviates from that. We can understand that. Don't we see that in our own relationships? A godly jealousy? If you're married this morning, I would think that in your marriage, in your vows, in your, in your covenant together, it would not be okay If a husband and wife are married, and then they say, I'm married to you, but I have a couple guys over here, and we have a couple girls over here, and we sort of just go out and have a good time, and we party, and I really like them, and sometimes I'm going to spend some time with them, and sometimes with you. Um, Is there any married couple who would think, hey, I'm cool with that? Would that be problematic? Would we even say that you were jealous over that relationship in a good way? That faithfulness, that covenant commitment, belongs to the two of you and no one else. All right? That's a godly jealousy. Now, now be careful. I, I used to say this. You have to disclaimer because we are um, sinful fallen creatures, and what we usually do is we take a godly jealousy and we make it into something evil. Okay, Don't leave here and say, Pastor said I should be jealous over my wife, and therefore I'm checking all your phone calls. I'm looking at all your emails. You're not going to the washroom without me. okay? If that's you this morning, you are freaky weird. (laughs) Seriously. And you need help. And you need some counseling. That's not what I said. But we do skew this thing. So what does it mean that God is a jealous God? God is jealous of his name and his people's loyal and loving obedience in which he rejoices and in which he is worthy And when we deviate from that, there is indignation. God is the Creator. He is God. And He alone is worthy of all praise and all honor and all glory. This God that we serve and we know in His very essence, He is altogether lovely. Altogether lovely. He is holy. He is righteous. He is just. He is peace. Shalom. He's all of those things. He is God. And his creatures are functioning properly only when they give him the honor and worship that he deserves. And God's jealousy shows his concern for his creatures' well-being. God is jealous over his creation because he created them, he knows them, he knows what is best for them. And when we deviate from that, not only do we not bring him glory and honor and worship that he deserves, but when we deviate from his plans and his purposes, it is always destructive in our lives. Always destructive. And so he is jealous over his people. And that's what he's talking about. Usually, though, that's not the case for us. We are more like our original parents, Adam and Eve, who wanted something that didn't belong to them. They were, in a sense, envious of what God had. Do you understand this? We say, well, why would God withhold one tree from them? What's the big deal? Well, here's the big deal. They had access to everything. Everything was theirs. And God said, hey, this is one thing I don't want you to touch. But they wanted to be like God. They wanted to know what he knew and have what he had. And that's where we find ourselves, this envy or jealousy that we're talking about. It is the painful, resentful awareness of another's advantage. Something they have that I don't have, something they have that I want, or something they have that I don't want them to have. It's jealousy. It's envy. And we see it everywhere. What Paul is speaking about here in 1 Corinthians 13, verse number 4, this envy, we see it everywhere. If, If you have two children, toddlers, and you have them in a room, whether a nursery or your own house, and there are a thousand toys there, give or take three or four, a thousand toys there, and the one kid is playing, and all of a sudden the next kid picks up a toy out of the thousand, what happens? World War III right? Of all the toys that that kid can have, he wants or she wants what the other one has because they have something that they don't have. They have an advantage that they don't have. And so we see it in our children. We see it in our teenagers. You know, the, the kid who starts dating and going to get married at 12 years old. Hey, stay with me, teenagers. Don't check out yet. Okay? And I'm in love, and so because I'm in love, you can only text me. You can only smile at me. You can only talk to me, and I want all of your time, all of your time. Can I tell you something, young people? Don't be dating at 12, 13, 14, or 15 years old. It, it's, it's crazy. You get all your feelings hurt. You get psychotic people in your life, all right? It's nuts. It's nuts. And we see that over and over again in our, in our kids. That it's like, I'm going to have you because I am jealous over someone else. We see it with our coworkers. Someone at work, they get a promotion. They get treated better than you. Uh, they get a raise. And it's, we start talking. That guy. That girl. Oh, they must be doing something special for the boss. They must be brown-nosing. You know, I mean? that, you know how that goes. And let me tell you, I know for a fact you're guilty of this. Aren't we, haven't we done this ourselves? We it with our neighbors. The neighbor gets a new car. It's like, well, got a new car? They must be selling drugs. Because <laughs> I know they can't afford that car. And we become jealous or envious of that. And unfortunately, we see it in the church. We see it in the church. And in the church, it's a zeal for one's own self-advancement rather than the community's growth. The church is not about you. It's not. The church is not about me. The church is about a body. And it's about the well being of this body. It's not my agenda. It's not your agenda. It's not my advancement. It's not me being praised or recognized. It's all about Him. And so we've got to be careful with this. Let me just give you two things that you need to note about jealousy. Here's the first thing we envy those with whom we closely identify. In all of our lives this morning, we will envy those with whom we closely identify. Can I tell you something this morning? I am not envious of Sidney Crosby at all. I can't skate. I can skate. I can't stop. Okay? If, if, it, if it went on forever and someone would push me, I would be fine. And so I'm not envious of a guy like Sidney Crosby. The fact is I can enjoy what he does. I can glory in the fact that he, he scores winning goals. I'm not envious of that. I can't identify with him, right? I'll tell you who I'm envious of. Other pastors. I identify with them. Why is that guy's church growing? That guy's a moron. <laughs> I'm just being honest, right? You think the same things. I'm telling you, this is... This is why did he get invited to the conference? That guy can't even speak. They should have called me. I'm the best speaker I know. <laughs> We're talking about pride in the next thing in 1 Corinthians. Right? But right, that's, the problem is I identify with those people, and so I become envious of them. Hey, the, the vocalist in the church here, you know who they're envious of? Other singers. I don't know why she got that part. You hear how she blew that one note? We do this. If you're honest this morning, you will know that the people that you envy are the ones that are closest to you. You envy your friends who are like you. You envy your coworkers. You envy your neighbors. You envy people that you're you're identifying with. Because they might have an advantage that you don't have. And inside, we just don't like it. Here's the second thing to notice about envy. We tend to envy in them, the people we identify with, the areas we value most. If what's most important to me is recognition, then when the other pastor is recognized, that just, it just you know, it grinds me inside because that's what I want. I want to be recognized. Hey, if it's praise that you did a great job and someone else gets it, because that's important to you, you envy that. If it's stuff, if it's money, it's what we value that becomes a problem. It's a problem. Now listen, here's what most of us do with envy. We see it in the lives of other people, and it makes us sick. Right, I mean, you've seen people who are just consumed with envy and jealousy, and it's sickening. It's, it's disgusting. Um, when we go out to dinner, my wife and I uh, what 's great about being together for so long is we 'll we'll sit down and we'll just we like to watch people. People are always interesting to me. Um, people are actually fascinating to watch that um, you can always have a good time watching people um, and we 'll always notice people at a restaurant that you see someone who 's just greedy where when the appetizer comes it 's like blah 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 and it 's sickening i mean it 's just sickening and you see like, that 's disgusting. How could anybody Be so selfish. And we see people are envious and we think, that is disgusting. And somehow in our little minds, in our little hearts, we justify our own envy. And it becomes a respectable sin. Jerry Bridgers talks about that respectable sin. And your envy is sickening. It makes me, ah, it's sick. But my envy, well, you know. Let me show you something about envy. Galatians chapter 5. Some amazing verses here. Now listen to this. And and look at this list. Because when we think our envy is not a big deal, look what Paul says in the works of the flesh. are manifest, they're revealed, which are these. These are the works of the flesh. These are things that are contrary to the will of God, the person of God, and to the Christian life. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance which is wanting something that someone else has, just by the way. Emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. Watch this. Verse 21. Envyings. And look what it's next to. And it's not like, out oh, the top of the list, let's do envy and get that one out of the way because it's no big deal. Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Now watch what he says. Of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He says that your envy and my envy is uncharacteristic for a believer. And if this was the pattern of our life, it would be obvious we don't belong to God. I'm telling you something this morning. We all struggle with envy and jealousy. We all do. So what do we do about that? Let me give you three things this morning as we close. Number one, we must turn to the sovereignty of God. Listen, he is the one that determines our abilities. He is the one that determines the degrees and blessings of those abilities. I mean, the the book of Corinthians, we've been talking about That the Spirit is the one who gifts, and he gives. And what you have, you have because of the Spirit of God. And we say, God, you are sovereign, you are control, you are the God of heaven, and you have given what has pleased you. He is sovereign. You cannot eliminate him from the picture of our lives. Because ultimately, when we are envious of what someone else has, what we are ultimately saying is this, God, you're not fair. I should have the recognition. I should have the praise. I should have the promotion. I should have the, the, the cash. I should have the stuff. And if you would, you could change this. You're not fair. And we must say, wait a minute. God is sovereign. He has given you and I exactly what we can handle. And we must trust him. Quit worrying about someone else. Understand that God is God, and if he wanted you to be the boss, he would have made you the boss. I'm amazed at how many guys can run companies who, who couldn't run a company, but when they're talking to everybody, all right, it was me, I would. It's like, no, if you could, you would. And God is sovereign. God places us, number two, and in line with this. We must remember that we are one body in Christ. Again, many parts. And it doesn't matter, when I say God is sovereign, he is gifted, he has brought this body together. Every member has a purpose, has a function. I don't care this morning if you're the the nail on the pinky or the arm, you function as a body, and the body works when all the parts are in sync and functioning. And we forget that. Again, it's not about you, it's not about me, it's about the body of Christ, he is the head. An old saint, I don't know who it was, but they said, if God were to commission two angels, one to lead an empire and the other to sweep garbage off the street, both would be doing the perfect will of God. You get that? So whatever he has for you, understand it's part of the body. Paul goes on in Romans chapter 12 and he says this, in verse number 5, he says, So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Verse number 10 jumps down, and he says, There we go. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. And what he's saying there is we are to outdo in showing honor to one another. The attitude of the church is not that I'm envious or jealous of you, it should be, How do I best serve those for whom Christ died? Whatever my own desires. That's how the body functions. And then finally this morning, with jealousy. When we spend emotional energy on envy and jealousy, we lose sight of what God might do uniquely in our lives. This morning, when I get caught up in competition, rivalry, working overtime to be recognized, when I am trying to diminish another's achievement or success, when I am so consumed because I have to be the best, I've got to be number one. I have to be the smartest, the most spiritual, the most cultured, the most awesome individual in the world. And it consumes me when I do that. We miss out on the privilege to serve God in a way that you and only you are designed to do. Because you're caught up in worrying about somebody else. And you miss the opportunity that God has for you to not only transform your life, but the lives of other people. Because you're consumed with your envy and jealousy. And you're not saying, God, here I am. These are the talents you've given me. Let me use them for your honor and glory. We are heavily involved in, in Guatemala. I mentioned again this morning. It's always on our hearts, always on our minds. I'm not exaggerating when I tell you this morning. That if it wasn't for our church, this small church in Chatham, Ontario... And some of the great things that are happening in San Cristobal El Moro and, and different places andmatiland would not be happening. We as a church have invested thousands and thousands of dollars and, and and worthy to be invested. We have been instrumental in in, in a school project that that transforms an entire community with new concrete for their pavement, new school classrooms, a new roof, upgrades. We have done that. Um, Our church is instrumental in in the sponsorship program there, that, that kids are getting, their families are getting money from people here that change their lives. And not just the life of the kid, but the family and the entire community. This church has, has investments in an educational program, a nutritional program. We have made a difference in Guatemala. It's amazing, really amazing. But let me tell you what's more amazing than that. Do you know how this started? It started with one girl. One girl from our church who said, you know, I'm working for CH Global. I'd like to take a missions trip. I don't know if God can use me or not, but I've always wanted to do this. It's on my bucket list. I'm going to do this thing. And she went about four years ago. And she built a house with a bunch of girls and one guy. And came back and gave a testimony on a Sunday night of how it impacted her life. And when Michelle Peters spoke, it ignited an entire church for a worthy cause. some of you folks, you are missing out on what God wants to do in your life. Because you're so wrapped up in what everybody else is doing and you're not just saying, God, here I am. You have gifted me. It might be small, but can I tell you something? Don't despise the day of small things. Our God can save by many or few. It doesn't matter to him. And some of us are wasting all of our energy and all of our time on rivalry and competing and being envious and jealous of someone else's gifts or talents instead of saying, God, here I am. Use me. And so the Church of Jesus Christ, this body of believers, realizes that love isn't jealous of someone else's gifting or talents or abilities or usefulness. Love rejoices in that and says, Praise the Lord. Can you see how God used that girl? Can you see what God did when they sang? Can you see how the word was open and God used that individual to change hearts and lives? Can you see where that person was kind and gracious and made a meal or shoveled a walkway or gave some money? Isn't that wonderful? Not like, I can't believe they did. No, it's none of that nonsense. Real love says, praise the Lord, this is one body. And I can rejoice at what God is doing in someone else's life. And until we get there as a church, we will look, sound, and act like the world. Paul says, that's not love. Love envies not. Let's have a word of prayer this morning.